Where Murder Meets Mystery contains graphic and explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. Hey Grinches, let's take a walk down the street where murder meets mystery, a podcast exploring the murderous, the mysterious, and everything that lies beyond the beyond. I'm Marissa. And I'm unwell. That intro was so cute. (laughs) Did you like it? I told Grace I I had a little surprise for her because obviously today is Christmas Eve. It's around the holiday season for whatever you celebrate, but instead of our ghoul friends today, you're our Grinches. Yes, I oh, I love it. Wait, do I need to let me quick do a find and replace for all the cool friends? So oh I my can. gosh, yeah, yeah, and just <laughs> separate it and be like Grinches, Grinches, Grinches. Oh, oh. I love it. Oh my well, god, guys, welcome to our holiday episode. Um, thanks for sticking around. I think this is what episode seven, yeah, episode seven, crazy, which is crazy. We are getting there. I mean, as soon as we hit double digits, I'm gonna be through the roof. So, episode 10, just wait for it. I, yeah, I don't, we're, like I said, I keep saying this every episode, we're about to act up. We got an audience, 10 episodes will be just be like I, a flat line. Can't, I can't yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's like 56 of you that have stuck with us now. Wow. Um, Eric pointed out, I was like getting sad because I was like, oh, our unique listeners are down. And he was like, no, yeah. that's just for the last seven days. So yeah. it's essentially we're collecting those unique listeners over yeah. the past seven days. Yeah. Um, so our estimated audience is 56 of you and we love you. Hell yeah. Yeah, I would just notice that same thing. I was looking at the anchor and I was like, maybe because you you were saying something about the unique listeners being down. I was like, maybe that's different. And then I hit the little like information button and I was like, sure is. So I made sure is different. (laughs) I was not sure. Either way, we could have one of you guys, aka my own mom, and (laughs) I would be just as happy and just as thankful. So thank you guys for doing what you guys do best and listening to us ramble. Using your ears. Love it. Thanks. Okay. Grace, I am very excited for your case. I feel like there's not many holiday-related cases. Well, actually, there probably are. I mean, let's be real. There's probably a few different holiday cases you could choose from, but uh, you had mentioned this one was gross, and I am here for it. It is disgusting. And let me just say the only festive shit about this case is the fact that it happened on Christmas. That's it. Oh, (laughs) that's what I was looking for. Yeah, that no, that's I, amazing. I I considered and I I kind of let you in on my process, but I considered doing John Bonet because that happened on Christmas Eve or yeah. the day after Christmas. And I, you know, I just I it was such a massive undertaking that case and also everyone talks about it. Oh, so yeah. instead I chose one that no one talks about and there's mm-hmm. pretty minimal coverage about it. So well, that's great. I love to bring attention to minimally covered cases. I feel like with John Bonet too. I mean, like you said, if your case, you know, the only thing that's holidayish about it is that it happened on Christmas. I mean, same with John Bonet. In reality, I mean, yeah. sure they think maybe Santa did it, but it's like you know, they they. Had, well, there's that one theory related to, and suddenly this is the John Bonet podcast. There's that one theory related to. Like the guy who had dressed up at Santa at a holiday as Santa yeah. at a holiday party and was like became infatuated with John Bonet, which I'm like, look, check that guy out anyway. Fucking gross, right? right? And he right. was like elderly. Take sick. a Santa 
costume away. Um, Santa license revoked. <laughs> literally. Um, but it's the same thing. It's like, you know, cases that happen around the holiday times, those are considered holiday cases for me. So I'm excited to yeah. hear what you got. So listen, the holidays are a stressful time for many, unless you're me and holiday schmoliday, your life is anxiety. I'm fine. It's fine. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, holidays <laughs> Holidays are stressful for a lot of people. Um, and a lot of times the animosity and tension felt between family members and friends can actually melt away during this time, even though it's, it is stressful, right? It's a high stress yeah. time, but often it gives us a chance to forgive any minor conflicts and enjoy the time spent together, right? Yeah. But it's not like this for everybody. For some, the holidays are not a happy time. Instead, the holiday is when arguments and conflicts come to a head and tension is released. This can come in the form of fights, verbal insults, storming out, throwing a Christmas cocktail right in someone's face, Mm -hmm. right? We see that on soap operas all the time. Or Real Housewives. (laughs) Or Real Housewives. (laughs) Depending on what- That's my opinion! Generation you're a part of soap (laughs) operas. What the fuck? Who watches those? (laughs) Listen, I got to keep up with my soaps. You gotta okay, watch. Them. All right, all right. No, I'm just kidding. I have seen zero soap operas except Put it on for TV. Off. There was a Spanish one that our high school Spanish teacher showed. Oh, iconic! <laughs> That's the only way to learn one in Spanish. Yeah, and there were plenty of cocktail throwings in that show. I did not say that Absolutely. right, but you know what I mean. Anyway, <laughs> it's fine. For a select few, however, this tension is released in the form of something much darker, aggression, violence, or even murder. Moida. (gasps) Moida? This was certainly the case for one 18-year-old boy slash man. 18 is a gray area. It feels like a child to me, but legally he's a man. And Chicago native Alexis Valdez. Okay. Okay. Alexis. (laughs) Alexis. A little bit of. A little bit of, a little bit of Alexis. <laughs> Alexis. Probably, by the way, my Alexa is going to be going crazy. Hold on. I'm going to pause. I'm going to unplug her. Okay. <laughs> because I just, it just occurred to me that I'm saying, oh. she's already talking. She's already talking. I don't know if you heard that. But... She responds to Alexis? Yeah, it just occurred to me that, well, probably because for the first month or so I owned her, I thought it was Alexis. It's fine. Right. It's like that SNL skit. (laughs) Allegra. Allegra. No. No. (laughs) I hate us. 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 It's awkward because I love us. I love us. I just think of Shit's Creek because it's like Alexis. Alexis. yeah yeah that's good you're trying with the moira i get it honestly fuck you that was a great (laughs) that was my best attempt (laughs) i have to put my hand over my mouth to try and like tackle in the mic oh Oh, muffle it i know i know yeah muffle it down muffle it down like the moiras (laughs) we're cackless we are we can't help it our true nature. We should have been cackle crimes and conspiracies. That's what we should have been. That's a great title. Why? Okay, where the fuck was that six months ago? Uh, Anyway, it's fine. Alexis lived with his aunt. I say aunt. I know a lot of people say aunt, but you're all weird. With his aunt. Okay, thank you. And her boyfriend, 41-year-old Silvestre Diaz Hernandez, in the 2500 block of North Kildare Avenue in the city's uh, Belmont Gardens neighborhood. And again, this is Chicago. 
Yeah. So this is our second, by the way, our second moita to happen in Chicago, right? Because we talked yeah. about the Tylenol murders. So Chicago, not great, not great juju floating around there. I don't know. Not, not good quick, energy. <laughs> uh, antidote. I will never forget uh, traveling to Chicago with you, Grace. And you were like, this is like the bouge area. This is awesome. You know, we're like, this is like good area. And then we yeah. get an alert that someone was shot like down a block. And I was like, holy Literally. fuck. Literally, Can we get like- something to McDonald's or something, please? <laughs> I was like terrified. But I mean, if Chicago's crime rate is, it's it's high, right? Oh my god! Meanwhile, the shooting probably happened at a McDonald's, right? Yeah, I'm like, I said no secret sauce. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh anyway, um, he had moved in with them earlier in 2013 under the condition that he would go to school, work, and contribute to household costs. Um, being mm-hmm. someone who lives with my family after having been independent briefly. I think that this is pretty standard, right? You enter into yeah. an agreement that's like, okay, you can move home, but you're an adult. You need to be contributing, right? 100%. 100%. Um, so here I'll just say, by the way, that I checked everywhere and I could not find his aunt's name. My assumption is that she wishes to remain anonymous because they name yeah. everyone but her. Um, so Probably. I'm assuming that's the case and because otherwise I'm not sure why that would be. You know, but I could not find her name. So we'll just refer totally. to her as Alexis's aunt. Apparently, Alexis did not uphold his end of the bargain and was not contributing, which led to ongoing tension and fights between Alexis, his aunt, and her boyfriend, Silvestre. Later, reports from neighbors would cite repeated arguments and noisy ones at that coming from the small apartment the three shared, which was in the, on the basement level of this complex. Okay. This tension reached a fever pitch in December of 2013 when, fed up with Alexis's behavior, his aunt and her boyfriend told Alexis's sorry ass to move out. They were over it. Wow. Okay. Now, this was a make-or-break moment for the teenager. Investigators believe that at this point, Alexis was angered to a point of no return. I also want to say that I go into a lot of psychology in um, in this case, regarding this case, because... While there's not a ton of, you know, like the narrative doesn't really differ as far as what actually went down and the crime itself, Mm -hmm. but there are a ton of theories psychologically and clinically that have like circulated around this case, which I think is so fascinating. And ghoul friends, I mean, Grinches, I like (laughs) I I studied psychology and um, yes, focused on developmental and child psychology. So this shit is so interesting to me and like how the brain develops and how it's different at different ages. And remember, Alexis was a teenager, a man in the eyes of the law, but a teenager. Um, And so I'll talk about some of that related to his judgment and stuff like that. But I'll I'll get to we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We'll get there. So he was obviously angered when he was asked to move out. So. Alexis Valdez descended into a dark mental state that would eventually prove fatal for one person in his life, his aunt's boyfriend, Silvestre Diaz Hernandez. Oh, I saw it coming. Yeah. Prosecutors allege that on Christmas Eve, Valdez was home alone drinking. That night, his aunt was at a party and Silvestre was visiting family. When Silvestre returned home, he opened the fridge and discovered they were out of beer. Fuck you, Alexis, honestly. I recognize that not replacing the beer is not the primary issue here, 
But I have to say that I think there's a special place in hell for people who use the last of something and don't replace it. What? So real quick, you just pulled that out of nowhere because Alexis is 18. And if I remember correctly, <laughs> the legal drinking age is 21. So how is he supposed to replace it? Oh, yeah. Tell me. Teen drinking, by the way. Well, he. I think he bought it in the first place or at oh. least. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think. And, and by the way. The crime and the nature of it will certainly highlight the fact that this man is no stranger to breaking the law. Okay, <laughs> I think sure. that this is not his he first transgression. Yeah, I would not put it past him. Um, um, well, well, what year did this take place in? I, I I blacked out when he mentioned that. It's fine. I black out all the time. 2013. Okay, okay perfect. I was going to say, you know, back in the day, like when my parents were in college, 18 <clears> was legal age. So I didn't know if it was back like in the 80s or something. No, no. Still, okay. yeah, it was still illegal back then. <laughs> Um, anyway, beer's gone, so Silvestre and Alexis actually go out together to get some more. Before they leave, Alexis decides to hide something behind the door, and that something was a hammer. Let me just say, by the way, he was not Bob the Builder. This was part of a much darker scheme. Okay, I was going to say, well, <laughs> well. could have been building something. Could have yeah, fixed no. that door handle. Nope, there's no Ikea furniture involved. <laughs> he was, in fact, planning to murder his uncle. Well, not his uncle, but his aunt's boyfriend. Yeah. Scary. So when the pair returns home, Alexis allows Silvestre in the apartment first. No, after you, presumably. So he would have the upper hand or to catch him by surprise. Mm -hmm. Alexis grabs the hammer and with a single blow to the head, knocks Silvestre unconscious on the floor. Wow. It's hard to determine if this blow to the head is what killed him, but he certainly would not survive what came next. After Silvestre had fallen, Alexis hit him 10 more times with the hammer, then pauses to cover the windows and play loud music. And then this is really icky, girlfriends. I warned you at the top of the episode, Grinches. but I'm warning you again. Grinches, what you're about to hear is not for the faint of heart. Okay? Gross. Okay. Alexis then began to dismember Silvestre's body with a butcher's knife, mm. removing his head, his nose, mm -hmm. his ears, mm -hmm. his mouth, and his arms. Mm -hmm. He also, according to prosecutors, plucked Diaz's eyes out with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I honestly, I, I felt like I saw that one coming as well, considering yep. he... Uh, you know, drew the shades and oh, yeah. put on some music and oh yeah, uh, wow! I like what like yeah, it, it phases me, but it also almost doesn't phase me because I'm like that is not pot. Like who does that? No one does that, but like a lot of people do that every year. And I'm just so, ranting at this point. So we'll, I'm gonna shut we'll, up and let you finish. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about dismemberment, but if you guys want to know more about it, um, first of all, you're creepy, but not alone. <laughs> there's a wine and crime episode. We love wine and crime. Hi, oh, guys. Yes. Um, hey. There's a wine and crime episode called Dismemberment Crimes, and uh, Lucy's segment in particular is about like the background in psych, and it's very interesting and gross. And like a lot of people don't realize what's involved. <laughs> like they right. think, sure, you cut up a body, but it's like physically a demanding thing. Right. It it is. Yeah. I'm surprised he got it done with a butcher's knife, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Eric Listen, just we... walked in and is probably like, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm surprised you got it done with a butcher's knife, honestly. I mean, I would have chosen a different tool. <laughs> I would have. When I kill my boyfriend, I'm gonna be using a way better tool. It reminds me of um the comedian Pat Oswald. Um, his wife Michelle Mac McNamara was the author of um I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which is that book about the Golden State Killer. Oh, yeah. He uh 
has a stand-up routine where he talks about his uh, girlfriend at the time, Michelle McNamara. But he talks, he was joking about her true crime obsession at the time. This was obviously before her death. And he was saying that he's like, I walk, I come home after a long day of being like a comedian. You know, it's hard. And he's like, I walk in and my wife's listening to something and you just hear the amount of semen in her chest cavity. And he's like, oh my God, what the fuck? <laughs> like what? Ugh, it's so true though. That's all yeah. I listen to, right? Hand me the ox. That's what I'm listening to. Literally. Um. So he dismembers the body, cuts, he decapitates Silvestre. He then left Silvestre's head along with each of his facial features on his aunt's bed for her to find. Wow. Listen, uh, we talked about overkill, but this child is seriously disturbed. <laughs> I have yeah. major problems with this. Um, this is a doozy, right? So it was at this point in the early hours of Christmas Day that Alexis Valdez called the police to report a dead body. According he to called CBS, it on himself? He sure did. Okay. According to CBS, when the dispatcher asked if he had attempted CPR, Valdez laughed and said, the body has no head. Okay. Okay. Fuck no, baby. He said, (laughs) you wish. (laughs) No head. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) The fact that Alexis, by the way, said the body and not Silvestre or even my aunt's boyfriend is interesting. And I want to quickly talk about this. This particular defense mechanism, often referred to as distancing language, is one we've seen in perpetrators of many crimes. And it reminds me in particular, Marissa, of that case out of Knoxville from 2016, the murder of Emma Walker. Do you remember that? No. It was like the psycho stalker ex-boyfriend who was like- Oh, did Kendall Ray cover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he like shot her through the wall of her house. Yes, yes, yes. Super strange. So Emma was murdered by her ex-boyfriend and stalker, Riley Gall. And I don't know if you remember this case, like the details, but during his initial interrogation after Emma is first found dead, Riley repeatedly says, quote, the girl instead of Emma's name or even, quote, my ex-girlfriend, right? He says, the girl. Now, according to Cambridge University, this tool of distancing language, consciously or unconsciously, allows killers to, quote, dehumanize their victims through the linguistic and physical management of distance. And that's from Robin that makes sense. Conley, 2013. Yeah. yeah. It's it's very interesting. And I, I just wanted to talk about that because that psychological aspect of it, I think is just, that's what got me into true crime in the first place is like totally. how fucked up people are. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. And can you know. just do it with no hesitation. And it is, I mean, I'm sure it's part of that distancing. So really interesting catch there, Grace. Yeah. And as my mom said about Peter Porco's gross, terrible murder, she was Mm -hmm. like, get it together, people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What what are we doing? Get it together. (laughs) Honestly, the world needs a Tylenol, not a laced one. That's what I'm saying. You know. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Alexis calls, the body has no head, blah, blah, blah. Police arrive. When they pull up to the apartment, Alexis is sitting in a lawn chair outside the apartment, reportedly thumbing through an iPad. Oh, gosh. Okay. I don't know so if he's, he's unfazed. If he's playing Fruit Ninja. Or like, maybe Temple Run. Temple Run. Farm Oh, true. Temple Run. Angry Birds. I don't know. Apart from the fact that he was drenched in blood, I feel like this is what you do when someone's like, hey, act natural, right? He's just like sitting in front of his house in on a fucking chair. iPad. Yeah. Right. 
Um, and at which point he asks why police are not arresting him. The police respond, wondering if Valdez has questions first. Valdez then admits to the killing, saying, quote, I just killed a man. He's in the basement. Again, that distancing language, a man, right? He says a man. At which point he allegedly smashes his iPad on the ground and is taken into custody. <laughs> okay, don't waste a good I, iPad. <laughs> Honestly. Leave it here. I don't understand. About I just think it's so, aunt. it's so funny to picture that. And I'm <laughs> I'm also just laughing because it says he's on the lawn. So I picture him throwing it into the grass and like hoping it's more dramatic. But instead it just kind of like bounces, bounces back. <laughs> <laughs> he's also, like, like, damn What it. a hissy fit. What a toddler fit. Like such a Literally. toddler thing to do. You know, Literally. like in the middle of the restaurant. So... So now we get into the Christmas part of it, (laughs) other than it being on Christmas, (laughs) right? Uh, This is so fucked up. So he's taken into custody and held without bond when questioned about leaving Sylvester's head in his aunt's bed. Remember, he left his head and his like nose, eyes, whatever, in the bed. Alexis says he, quote, wanted to leave her a present, end quote. Mm -hmm. Sure. Happy Merry Christmas. Happy Chrysler. Merry Christmas. The Merry Christmas. You remember he that vine? I no. I remember oh Chrysler. Gosh, I Chrysler. Chrysler. I remember Chrysler. Christine Chrysler. Sadelko. Yeah. She did it. <laughs> okay, so anyway, he yeah, he wanted to leave her a present. And honestly, can we just say worst gift ever? That's literally that's going in the return pile. <laughs> Damn. Now I <laughs> I initially heard about this case on Crime Stories with the highly controversial but certainly knowledgeable Nancy Grace. Mm-hmm. And we'll include a link to the full episode in the description box. Thank you, Marissa. On the podcast, Nancy Grace interviews a number of experts regarding this case, including Professor of Forensics Joe Scott, um, Joe Scott Morgan, I'm sorry, Joe Scott Morgan, and psychoanalyst Dr. Bethany Marshall. Nancy Grace reminds listeners that dismemberment crimes, though they are frequently portrayed on television and in movies, are actually extremely rare and very hard to do, very physically demanding, as we said. She interviews Professor of Forensics Joe Scott Morgan about this. Joe Scott Morgan, who had three names, by the way, no one talks about that. Joe Scott Morgan, who has been present at over 7,000 autopsies, cites that clinically uh, they observed that Alexis Valdez went into a significant level of detail in this, quote, dismemberment dissection. Ick. Ew. Involving elements other than simply decapitation. He says simply decapitation. I'm like, yeah, just decapitation. Like, no big deal. Yeah, simple. Yeah, so other than simply decapitation, which the professor tells us, quote, gives us clues into the inner workings of Alexis's mind, end quote. Mm-hmm. The environment where this crime was committed was quite a cramped and closed space, leading uh, Dr. Scott Morgan to believe that the crime scene had to be a bloodbath because it's such a small space and dismemberment is not a clean thing to do. He also remarks at the fact that he had seen many, quote, very strong crime scene workers and law enforcement officers grow weak at the sight of a large quantity of blood. This leads us to realize <laughs> how... I know. <laughs> this leads us to realize how disturbed Alexis really would have to be to commit this level of violence single-handedly, right? Yeah. Um, the work that he did in that small space, this is a quote from Dr. Scott Morgan. 
quote, the work that he did in that small space, this grisly work would have been portrayed when you walked in. I cannot imagine the reaction the local police had when they walked in. They probably thought they were walking in through the gates of hell, unquote. Nancy Grace agrees, literally. Nancy Grace agrees, saying she's been present at thousands of crime scenes, real crime scenes, and she had never seen anything like this, saying that there was no way in hell that Valdez could claim insanity or even delusion in this case because of the level of patience, planning, and commitment he demonstrated to committing the crime. Yeah, and he just straight up admitted it. You know, it's right. just like, I don't know, there's there's something there too, like where he called them thumbing through an iPad and just admitted it to where it's totally. like, all right. Totally. Very calm, cool, and collected, right? Uh, psychoanalyst Bethany Marshall, Dr. Bethany Marshall has a number of interesting insights regarding the case, which I, some of which I want to share with you. Although Alexis Valdez is not insane from a legal point of view, Dr. Marshall asserts that in this case, we have a young man who is seriously disturbed, may have sociopathic tendencies, impulse control problems on a scary pathological level. She, uh, Dr. Marshall says this, this is what we call it, or maybe she says a catathymic homicide. And basically that that? means it's a, it's where the perpetrator has a, has a strong, uncontrollable compulsion to kill that increases and decreases over time. This is evident by the fact that Alexis had like a, um, tense, there was like existing tension with him and his aunt and her boyfriend. Um, so there was a lot of anger that was brewing And also the fact that he, there was a level of planning involved, right? Even if he had decided that day that he was going to kill his aunt's boyfriend, he thought ahead to, you know, hide the hammer, let Silvestre enter the room first, right? Leave this, the stuff on the bed, which is just like a dark, it seems like it's evident of some sort of dark fantasy, right? Um, Dr. Marshall also theorizes the presence of something called context dependent thinking. This is the term that describes a state of mind in which the person involved is only able to think about what is happening right then in that context, rather than what will or has happened in the past. This only fuels Valdez's pathological rage, meaning like when he was in the moment, that was all he was thinking about was how mad he was and accomplishing the task of killing Silvestre. Um, Sure. Thinking about consequences like a life in prison is big picture thinking of which Dr. Marshall says people committing homicides are not capable. I just thought that was so interesting. And I I think that it it shows like, you know, just really how disturbed Alexis Valdez was, you know, Um, and the fact that he like she she alluded to sociopathic tendencies, right, where he's even though he's not insane in the eyes of the law, he's like, you know, there's something there's something uh unhinged there <laughs> there's a, right. there's a screw loose <laughs> i can say that pretty confidently um you may still be wondering ghoul friends all of this may be true of violent crimes but what about a crime that is this violent this part i think mm-hmm. is really interesting and it reminded me a lot of um peter porco's murder okay. dr marshall mentions her cats at this point and i'll remind you that cats like most animals are capable of only primitive thinking For anyone who owns cats, which hopefully none of you because fuck cats, they will sometimes leave you little sacrificial uh, offerings, little presents, if you will, at your doorstep. Usually animals, birds, mice that they've so graciously slaughtered for you. Sound familiar? Yes. Icky, right? This. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Good job. Thank you. Context clues. Yes. 
this level of violence is not representative of the higher level advanced mental functioning and behavior expected of humans living in a civilized society. This is primitive animal-like behavior, likely indicative of someone on the brink of a psychotic episode. She goes on to say that the fact that Alexis Valdez was a teenager and was consuming alcohol in excess before the crime is essential to understanding this case, reminding us that a teen's prefrontal cortex, the area of the brain associated with judgment, planning, and decision-making, was not fully formed. This doesn't sure. really happen until you're around 25. This right. is also the braking system, B-R-A-K-I-N-G, like a, like a car brake. Um, yeah. in the brain that causes us to think before we act or speak, which is inhibited not only by drinking alcohol, but also by being a child, right? This right. skill in teenagers is significantly less developed, causing whatever they think and feel to come bubbling over, Dr. Marshall says. Um, now, Nancy Grace also interviews Silvestre Diaz Hernandez's children, his daughter, Selena, and his son, also named Silvestre who say that they were notified that their father had died, though they did not know the nature of their father's death. Selena found out from older relatives while Silvestre Jr. says that it was not until the coroner contacted him to help in identifying his father's body that he knew something terrible had happened, which we hear about this all the time, right? Like the family doesn't know until like they find out before they're told officially, you know what I mean? Right. Yep. And I just, which is sad. Yeah, it really is. And like, it, I think it happens, honestly, way too often, right? Where people are like, oh, I saw it on the news, <laughs> right? I'm just yeah. like, what? And it's like, wh where are the officials? I don't yeah. know what officials there are, like police, coroner, police? I don't uh, know. ambulance people, uh, uh, everyone else. It's uh, like, uh, where <laughs> where were you? Did you not have my number? Can't you right. find my number? You could find where my Instagram. I'm like, come on. Yeah. Literally. Um. So he was informed, Sylvester Jr. was informed of the true nature of his father's terrifying final hours when he identified his uncle's body from tattoos they had gotten together. Oh, that's sad. That's really yeah. sad. Saying that at that point, the coroner told him his father could not be buried because of the state of his body. Oof. Yeah. He, he later, Sylvester Jr. started a GoFundMe for um, funeral costs and um, cremation and stuff like that because his father did not have life insurance. So um, oh, that's, that's a really sad part of it. Yeah. Uh, Selena and Sylvester Jr. had also just lost their mother shortly before their father. So to lose another wow. parent was devastating. They were both teenagers. And in that gruesome of a way. Yeah. I mean, just God. Selena had heard about her father's death from family members who had heard the story on the news. So even they weren't notified officially. Wow. And so, and she believes that they left out certain details just to kind of protect her, right? Because she was young at right. the time. And um, though there there was a period of immense grief and sadness, obviously, following Silvestre Diaz Hernandez's death. Silvestre Jr. says that at some point you have to move on and that the death of a role model can't stop you from achieving your goals. Wow. Very mature. Yeah. And, and, at such a young age now, uh, like granted, when children go through trauma, they usually have to grow up really quick, quickly, right? Um, yeah. Especially at a young age. So I, I'm just really, I'm obviously heartbroken for him and his family, and you know his his kids and his wife will never meet his father, and that that's got to be terrible. Or his mother. Or mother. Yeah. Yeah. But he, you know, he really. It seems like he's been he's taken this opportunity to appear on shows like Nancy Grace, right, where he's able to speak out and get the message out to people, 
He says, you got to make somebody proud, which is sad. He encourages those listening to hold your loved ones close during the holiday season and cherish the mm-hmm. time together because one way or another, at some point, one of you will no longer be there. Damn. And I was just like, wow. That's yeah, good point. Uplifting, but also really sad. Like, yeah, it's like super uplifting. And then it's just like straight down. You're like, yeah, I mean, eventually we're all going to die. So hold tight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, sure. Uh, anyway, so I, I, Alexis Valdez was eventually found guilty. Good. So I, I think if this would this particular case was pretty cut and dry. Cause li- oh, that was a bad play on words. I did not mean. To oh my gosh! Fuck, <laughs> fuck me, honestly. This case was pretty simple. Let's say that it's pretty straightforward, and I think that they they understood that Alexis Valdez had a lot of you know illness and just darkness that was that would led to his violent actions, and I right. think. Yeah. And I, I'm still sticking with my pattern of unsolved solved. And I'm very proud of myself. Oh, I like that. Okay. That. Yeah. So this one is for sure solved. Um, and Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe just have a good talk with your uh, aunt's boyfriend if you are in a similar situation instead of being a moidor. Yeah. <laughs> a moidor. Yeah. Um, also, please everyone be in therapy because it's helpful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, Grace, that was a great case. I <laughs> loved the holiday theme. Aren't you happy? I, mean, I am. I love a good dismemberment uh, oh, yeah. crime. I think those are always interesting because, again, it feels so far removed from my, what my life looks like today that I'm like, wow, removed, this is like... Removed, good one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> See, I wouldn't have even noticed when you said cut and dry if, like, that that was, like, relevant because uh, I don't, my brain doesn't work that quickly. Um, <laughs> so, As long yeah. as you're honest. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, yeah, quite quite frank. It does not work that quickly. So any any jokes you hear from me, guys, they're most likely pre-planned and written in my notes. So don't get too excited, okay? Well, the only joke I had in this one was Bob the Builder. That was my only joke. <laughs> I got to workshop them, you know? Uh, yes. Okay, well, I'm excited to hear your mystery, and hopefully it will distract me from the darkness of mine. <laughs> Yeah, mine's kind of dark. <laughs> oh, okay, good. Um, good it's definitely good. not as dark as yours, but it's it's an interesting topic. So okay. today I'll be talking about Krampus. <gasps> oh my god, I'm so excited. I almost texted you and said, you have to cover Krampus, and I didn't want to. I think you might have mentioned it maybe a week or oh two ago, god. or maybe when we talked about doing a holiday episode and I was yes. like, yeah, 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 whatever. It's like a fake whatever. And then I, I started doing research on it. I was like, wow, no, this is like a real thing, <gasps> like a trend. I'm like so excited. Yeah, it's going to be good. So, okay. Krampus is not just a funny episode of the hip TV show, The Office. It's it's a real <laughs> Christmas cryptid, okay? Yes, um, Dwight. <laughs> Dwight Schrute, come on. Krampus <laughs> is a half goat, half demon-like figure who has horns, dark hair, and fangs, which is just terrifying when you He's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think of that? You have to message these ahead of ahead next time and just message me as I'm recording and be like, hey, say this joke 30 seconds later. Doesn't it feel it. weird? It feels weird. And I think about this all the time. Whenever I see like a comedy video, like it's meant to be a comedy and they're writing jokes and stuff like that. Do you ever think like I could never be a stand-up comedian because I'm like 
writing jokes oh, and like saying, oh this will be funny they'll love this one that feels so weird 100% and we I just went to a comedy show and the comedian she was pulling jokes out of her ass like it, about people in the audience like what yeah. was going on I'm like how do you do that quickly like that quick witted I'm Ugh. just not that which is why I pay to see other people do that <laughs> <laughs> so oh my Krampus, God, Krampus. <laughs> I'm sure you're wondering what kind of, how did he get that name like Krampus is such a weird string of letters put together that we are saying out of our mouths the name <laughs> well said <laughs> thank you the name derives from a german word krampen which means claw so you know kind oh. of that scary claw like hand i guess that, that krampus has no that makes sense now krampus bears the pronouns he him so i'll be referring to him as so but i i he has not said you know what his gender is so i'm just that's letting fair. you guys know from here on out you'll hear me say he him that's fair i think i think yeah i think cryptids and uh demons in general are usually pretty androgynous but right. i think people default to the male pronouns because fuck the patriarchy thank you yeah it's <laughs> krampus is creepy so it has yeah. to be a man um <laughs> Anyway, Krampus is a legend that is a part of an old Christmas tradition in Europe, which is specifically in Europe, Germany. And as here in America, Christmas celebrations begin early in Germany. So in America, I'm not sure if you're aware, Grace, but St. Nicholas Day is in early December. Do you know what St. Nicholas's Day is? Uh, is it? But it's not like Christmas, but it's related. St. Nick? Kind of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so my family used to celebrate because we're Italian, I guess. So oh. on December 6th, you would put out a shoe yeah. and it would get filled with treats. But in my childhood's case, it would get filled with lottery tickets. Oh my God. We wouldn't get most... candy or anything. We would get lottery tickets. <laughs> that was the most fucking Italian thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh my Anyways, God, I love that. Yeah, it was it was an interesting childhood. So Europeans would be excited for St. Nick today, but would also fear Krampus. He was basically used as an evil counterpart to St. Nick. So it's like, if you're good, you get St. Nick. Uh, yeah. But Krampus, if you were naughty, would come and hit misbehaved children, stuff them in his sack, and take them to his lair. He would, like, kidnap these poor kids. You know, so that had... Very effective. I have to hand that to the Germans. Very effective method of child control. Oh my gosh, right? If you're trying to get a child in line, you're like, look, Krampus is going to come kidnap you in the middle of the night. Yeah, I would probably stop crying and listen to what you were saying. Yeah, fucking shut up. I texted Krampus. He's on his way. (laughs) They'd be like, oh, okay. You get a video or a voice recording of like an old (laughs) creepy like cryptid like creature saying they're coming for your kid. Oh my gosh. Oh my God. Oh, um, fucked up. So the official night of Krampus is December 5th, and it's called Krampusnacht. Um, it's a German word. Yeah. Basically, it means the night of Krampus mm-hmm. in German. But in modern day, uh, drunken men actually take part in Krampusnacht across Austria, Germany, Hungary, Slovenia, and Czech Republic. So if, you know, I, I prefaced it with drunken men, um, yeah. what do you think the modern day night of Krampus includes for those drunkenly men. Ugh, I I hate to imagine. Please don't say kidnapping. Does it involve no? Kidnapping? <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I'm realizing now this could go really bad. No, <laughs> they basically just chase people down the street dressed as devils, which okay. is like um, kind of 
just as bad, like drunkenly being chased down the street. I would, again, uh, flight or fight, I would, I don't know what I would do, but I know I would shit myself. It sounds, I mean, that sounds like a pretty awesome Friday night, doesn't it, Marissa? Right. Us in college chasing people down the street dressed as devils. Exactly. And you know what it reminds me of, too? In America here, we have something called SantaCon across a lot of the big cities. People dress up as Santa and get drunk. Like, they take over the city. So it kind of reminds me of that, honestly, but you're dressed as Krampus, who's this horned, fanged creature. I cannot think of a better representation of how terrible America is (laughs) than SantaCon. (laughs) (laughs) What? Oh, it's so weird. And something right. like hundreds of thousands of people participate in SantaCon, which is yeah so gross. I and so that's can't. similar with with cr- the Night of Krampus. Um, yeah. But Krampus has also gained quite the popularity here in America, and not just because of the iconic Office episode. <laughs> to quote National Geographic, back in 2010, art director, graphic designer, and big man on Krampus... Shut the fuck up. I love it so much. I didn't come up with it because, as I mentioned before, I'm quoting National Geographic, but I just had to say it because that's the main reason why I quoted them because I'm like, wow, that's a good joke. I have to. Oh my God, Big Man on Krampus. Anyways, Big Man on Krampus, Monty Bucamp, or Bucamp. I don't know how to say that last name. I know I've heard it before, but how's it spelled? B E A U? Bo? Yeah. I think it's Bo. Bo Camp. Okay. Um, He thinks that he deserves a lot of the credit. After a collector introduced him to Krampus postcards from the 19th and 20th century, Bo Camp published some in two issues of his magazine, Blab, and followed that with two books of Krampus cards in 2004 and 2010. Shortly after his first book was released, a gallery director in Santa Monica called Monty and asked him to set up an exhibit of artistic interpretations of Krampus cards. The show was a success, and the gallery director invited Monty to curate even more Krampus shows across his art galleries. Krampus postcards are 100% what we would send each other. Yes, and I want you to, you know, listen to me, but also side-goog this right now. Look up Krampus Christmas cards. Okay. I mean, they are so, so creepy, and I'll get into them a little bit later about, like, what they depict and stuff, but I want you to see them now. Um... Fucking hell. These are gross. Right? right? So Terrible. I think they, they are weird and they're definitely not that like Christmas holiday joy that you would receive in a normal holiday card. So I think that's why they became this kind of like artistic trend in a way. Like people were so intrigued with this kind of art that it got, you know, popular here in America. The one of him like tonguing the children. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Horrifying. Right around that same time, Monty's friends rode on the Krampus wave and opened up a Krampus club in LA. And at first I thought like LA club must be like a red foggy Krampus themed nightclub. Totally. Like, ordering like Krampus themed drinks. Uh, but it actually, I think it's just a club for like fans and they host an annual Krampus run. So similar to how the night of Krampus in Germany, they get drunk and run down the roads and stuff. I think it's similar to that, but instead of maybe getting drunk, it's like a turkey trot. Like they actually run dressed as <laughs> what is, Krampus maybe. What is, I mean, people who run are already crazy, but that's right. That's like an added level of psychosis. Wait, okay. What is a Krampus themed drink? 
Mm, the goat's milk. <laughs> <laughs> what is Something it? Something with goat. Ew! You can't drink goat's milk, can you? With liquor. That'd be disgusting. Oh, yeah, like a white like Russian. Sort of... A white Russian. Yeah, I was gonna say it. it would probably be like a ro- a white Russian of sorts, with like a. I don't know chunks of fangs in it or something. Chunks of drink fa- it with Ugh. you. Ha- you have to drink it with fangs in order to like get it. I don't know chunks of anything. But, yeah, terrible. No, thank you. Uh, no, so thanks. at this point in my notes, I I remembered the office episode was not about Krampus but Belsnickel. Oh, uh, <laughs> so I looked it up, and Belsnickel does exist. He's the equivalent of Krampus, but in another region of Germany. So oh. really interesting there. He was definitely Belschnickel because he had like a little like nursery rhyme about it or read the yeah. book to them about it or something. Yeah, well, he was reading the book about the, the demon that like cut their fingers off with. Yeah, with the German nursery scissors. rhymes. Yes. Wait, that was during the kid episode when they brought their kids yeah. to work. <laughs> yes, I love it so much. Uh. Oh my God, that show. So other German regions have something known as Nicht Ruprecht. And France has Hans Trapp and Pierre Foutard. And the Netherlands have Zwarte Piet, which is a super controversial kind of cryptid because that basically means Black Peter in their language. And it involves a lot of blackface, which is very, 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 very wrong. Now, I know what you're thinking. There are a lot of evilish characters surrounding Christmas in Europe. And you're probably thinking, why? Are you? Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. So a lot of these mythical creatures date back to the pagan celebrations of December 22nd. And for those of you wondering what pagan is, I always thought, I always thought, like until I did my notes for this episode, that it was like a satanic kind of religion, like worshiping the devil. (laughs) It's not at all. I did a little quick side goog, shout out Ellen Marsh. And I found that there are a few different definitions, but the underlying commonality is that paganism is a person holding religious beliefs other than those of main world religions yeah so kind of think of it like an indie religion instead of a mainstream religion and by main world religions they usually mean christianity right um yes specifically christianity so Mm -hmm. yeah another definition i found was one who worships many gods or goddesses Mm -hmm. or earth or nature yeah and i find that interesting because i hold a big interest in crystals and the moon cycle and, and nature so i'm like okay Halloween is a pagan holiday. Yes. So I'm getting there, but Christmas has some pagan roots, which is really interesting to me. Tell me. I always thought, again, that this was like some sort of devil worshiping religion, which it's not. We're talking about the pagan roots of Christmas now. And I found it interesting because I'm also a big fan. (laughs) It's weird, but I go from crystals in the moon cycle to equivocal fundamentalist families (laughs) and kinds of religions. Fascinating. So shout out, shout out Fundy Friday. I mean, I see the link. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fundy Friday is our our fave. Yeah. Love oh Jen. Gosh. Love yes. you, Jen. But I learned that a few of these quiverful families, those that are super religious and fundamentalist, actually don't participate in celebrating Christmas anymore because yeah. of its pagan roots. Yeah. So these mythical creatures, as I mentioned before, date back to December 22nd, which was the longest night of the year. And I guess they just oh. eventually... I don't know. Extended it's the their winter stay. solstice, right? 
I think. Yes. Oh my gosh, yeah. you're so smart. Oh, okay. I'll I'll get there in a second, but okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I also want to talk about how Krampus was commercialized first. Yeah, he was commercialized around 1890 when the Austrian government gained control over the nation's postcard production. So those postcards that you had seen previously. So between then and World War One, German companies sold Krampus Christmas cards in Germany, Austria, and any other European kind of country with Krampus slogans, and they're Classic. creepy. I mean, you you pulled a few up um yeah. they're not that you know simple holiday card with frosty or rudolph the red-nosed reindeer or santa on them and yeah like yet the vibes are immaculate i have to say they're great <laughs> yes <laughs> krampus is how i feel even once a month every month <laughs> even though he's scaring little kids beating yeah. them to death or kidnapping right. them and putting in his right. pouch in the back not that so. part not that part mm-hmm. but the anger right. i okay. relate to <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but Stephen Nissenbaum, who is the author of a Pulitzer Prize nominated book called The Battle for Christmas, mm. he states that for most people before the 1800s, Christmas was not a domestic quiet holiday. In fact, it was a holiday that was characterized by boisterous revelry. It was sort of like a combination of Halloween and New Year's and Mardi Gras. So these earlier Christmas celebrations included people who would go door to door demanding alcohol and threatened homeowners if they didn't get any, which is oh essentially God, me, just me, me, trick me. or treating. Like I'm like, <laughs> how did this? Like you think, and you're like, okay, how did trick or treating get started? Well, it must have, and probably not. I'll probably do a Halloween episode all about the history of Halloween, but here I am assuming it came from this kind of holiday. Yeah. Um, you know, kids get a lot of what they do from their parents. And if you see your parents going house to house demanding treats, I'm sure you're going to eventually do that. Yeah. Uh, The webmaster for Krampus.com, Matthew Souzis, I think is how you say his last name. Sure. He says that he always pitches the night of Krampus as a crossover between Halloween and Christmas. So drawing back that connection to trick-or-treating. Yeah. But to go back to the pagan roots of Christmas, early Europeans celebrated the light and birth in the darkest days of winter, and many rejoiced during winter solstice, as you mentioned, Grace. Yeah. Basically, like, celebrating the worst of the winter behind them, because from there on out, you know, the days get a little bit longer and a little bit lighter. Yeah, and and before the modern calendar system that we use today, like, we did everything by the sun and the moon. That was how people determined exactly. like the time of year and charted the stars and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I think time change is fraud. Like it was made for farmers, right? And like being able to do crop and stuff like that. Come on. Yeah. It Let's was, just go it back was, to one thing. You're talking daylight savings. Yeah, that. That's what yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah, it was some like it was some uh botanist who was like wanted or entomologist who wanted more time to study his like specimens. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. he proposed daylight savings. A lot of people think it was Benjamin Franklin, but I learned that that's a myth. Oh, love that. Yeah. Uh so I'm gonna get into some of the other earlier holidays uh in Europe. Basically, yeah. there's one called Saturnalia, which was a holiday in honor of Saturn, who is the god of agriculture. So oh. Saturnina was celebrated in the beginning week leading up to winter solstice and continued for a full month. And in that month, enslaved people were given temporary freedom and treated as equals. And businesses Ew. and schools were closed so that everyone could participate in this month-long celebration. Wow. I would hate to see the transition like out of that holiday where they're like, okay, you're mm-hmm. slaves again. Right. Yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah. Yikes. 
Scandinavians also celebrated Yule in Germans honoring the pagan god, God of Odin. Mm. And I'm, again, in no way a religious expert, but according to History.com, who I find credible, mm-hmm. in the early years of Christianity, Easter was the main holiday and the birth of Jesus was not celebrated because the Bible does not mention his day of birth, but Pope Julius I chose December 25th as the day. Yeah, his birthday was actually somewhere in August or April or something with an A. August or April. Yeah. Something with an A. (laughs) Something with an A. Fucking A. I don't know. (laughs) That sounds like a good band name. (laughs) That is a good band name. Something with an A. Yes. Yeah, I play bass for something with an A. (laughs) (laughs) I love something with an A. I can see it now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So whether you're afraid of Krampus or not... Or put out your shoe for an old white man to put his candy in or go to midnight mass on the 24th. Who knows Mm. what you do? For some, this holiday season is not rooted in tradition. For some, it is. And it's great to make those traditions with family and friends. But for others, the holiday season can be a really rough time of the year. So I hope that our podcast can offer some sort of comedic relief or distraction from anything that you may be enduring. And please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You know, DM us, email us if you need anyone to talk to. But also, absolutely go get yourself a therapist or check out Talkspace yes. or BetterHelp because there are licensed people out there that can actually help you um, versus us. Seasonal <laughs> affective disorder is a real thing. So make sure you're getting enough vitamin D and enough sleep and yes. exposure to white light during the day. Mm-hmm. Please. Yeah, go outside in the middle of the day, <clears throat> take a walk or something. And even if you just need someone to vent to your family about, like, I don't know. I think a lot of people think therapist is like a, a last resort kind of thing when you're super, super depressed, which it does help. But also if you just yeah. need someone to vent to, I mean, they're great. Yeah. So I know like either way. when I when I first started seeing a therapist, I that was what it was, is venting. <laughs> it was just like, yeah. let me tell you about everyone that made me angry in the past week. Yeah, but it's a right? great unbiased, you know, person to help yeah. talk you through all of that. So yeah. And uh, we would love way. to hear all your drama too please send it our way. That would be very interesting. That would be interesting. We should probably have a feature episode of like, yes, one, you know, our listeners' stories, but then two, like what drama is going on. Yes. Right I would love to read the drama because I don't have any in my life. So I'd love to be able to <laughs> channel that energy somewhere else. Brag, right. weird flex, but okay. <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't have any like hair pulling drama i have like That's drama true. induced by anxiety and needing to people please uh everyone so it's my own drama that i create so it's not as fun as like my boyfriend cheated on me with my best friend and i pulled her hair out Ooh. kind of vibe hair pulling drama is first of all another great band name <laughs> oh yes yeah yeah um either way krampus is creepy and i also am kind of searching for vintage krampus christmas cards to start collecting Big man on Krampus. Big man on Krampus. That's a new uh, holiday sweater right there. And that is also a great band name. So that was Marissa's mystery. But I just, you know, wanted to put that. You kind of put a disclaimer at the beginning of yours about, you know, the holiday season can be great and it can also be shitty. So I wanted to also talk about that. Yeah. So naturally we covered some dark things that are sure Mm -hmm. to make you feel sad. (laughs) Yay. Right. Right. But, uh. Happy holidays for those who celebrate and Merry Christmas to anyone that's listening to this when it comes out on Christmas Eve. Yes. Please, please, please 
rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps us a lot with like algorithms and stuff. And don't be afraid to email us any suggestions at wheremurdermeetsmystery at gmail.com. And then also follow us on Instagram at wheremurdermeetsmystery. I love um, when Fundy Friday says consensually smash that like button. <laughs> consensually smash that subscribe button. Please subscribe Love to our it. podcast. Love like it. it, follow it, whatever these platforms that you're listening on have to get notified that we release new episodes. Even sure. though we do it every Friday, just do it All of because it. that would help us tremendously. Yeah. And and tell your friends. Share it tell on your, friends. Tell your, family. your Insta stories and your Facebook. Tell your dentist. And your dentist. It's probably about time for your six-month checkup, people. Yep. So and this is your reminder to floss or Krampus mm. is coming for you. Hey, we just started flossing, so I'm <laughs> free of Krampus this year. <laughs> just started after 25 years. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, congratulations on your flossing journey. I love Thank that you. journey for you. <laughs> Thank you. And... Congrats to all of you guys for making it through episode seven. And we can't wait to see you for episode eight, which is going to be a little New Year's special. Yes. We'll see you later. Bye, guys. Bye.